Our opening hymn tonight is a hymn number 196, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly, while the near waters roll, while the tempest still is high. We'll stand together after the opening note and sing this lovely hymn, thinking about these words as we sing about the Savior. <clears throat> Let's all stand, let's sing her very best. Son of company, and while we're singing this final verse, going to ask our brother Greg if he would come to the pulpit. Uh, brother Greg Gibson, uh, the final year student in our Whitford College, and we're going to ask him to open in prayer, please. The last verse unaccompanied after the night. Amen. 
we'll seek the Lord together and we'll pray. Eternal God and our gracious Father, we even just come into thy holy presence tonight in our Saviour's name. We thank thee, Lord, once again for the, the access that we have, that we can pray even through our son, uh, thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank thee, Lord, tonight for thy great work as intercessor and as high priest. And we even rejoice tonight, Lord, in the word of God that tells us that thou ever liveth to make intercession for us. And thou perfects our prayers in heaven. And we thank thee for that even reality tonight. We rejoice in the return of another gospel evening service, another opportunity to be in thy house, to open up the word of God, and to even sing thy praises. We even do rejoice for what has taken place already tonight. And we look forward in anticipation, Lord, to the, the testimony of our dear sister. And we thank thee even for that, Lord. We thank thee that every testimony is special. It speaks of the saving grace of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And we do pray she would come and she would even recall what thou hast done in her life, that you will even make her a mighty instrument in thy hand, Lord, that even through what she would say in her own words, that many would be saved, Lord, in this service tonight, online, Lord, and in future days. We pray you'll make her comfortable as well, Lord. You'll take away any nerves and fears that she would have, and she would feel at home as she comes to even just say a word for thee. We thank tonight, Lord, of thy wonderful work on Calvary. Lord, what a privilege it is to know that we can be saved tonight because of what thou hast done on the cross, that even tonight we stand on redemption ground through what Jesus Christ has done. And uh, think of the word of God reminds us that through the shedding of blood, there is remission of sin. And the gospel tonight is the free offer of grace. And we thank that it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And we pray, Lord, just that that will be the reality tonight in this house in every house that would stand, or uh, every house that would preach the gospel, Lord, that would uh, stand fast to the truth of the word of God, we even pray you'll continue to save souls up and down this land. We think of the town in which this church is situated in Balamoni. We love this town, Lord. We love the people of this town. And we pray that you will even continue to speak on in these days, and souls will be saved. You will build your church, knowing that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We think of all who have gathered here tonight, and differing needs, Lord, differing even worries perhaps on their minds and we leave them all with thee tonight knowing that thou art a God who knows everything about about us. We know our worries, you know our concerns and our fears and Lord you even know the thoughts that we have before we think them and we're reminded even as Jeremiah says that those thoughts toward us are thoughts of peace to give us that expected end and we even just rejoice in that tonight Lord that thou art a God of peace, that thou art a God of comfort and a God of rest and we even just can come to thee tonight in in childlike faith and even just pray lord our simple prayers knowing that thou art a god who even hears and answers them we think also just of the uh, week that lies ahead we think of opportunities to share the gospel to even speak a word for thee that we pray lord you'll even give us that opportunity even as the Reverend park spoke about this morning lord in the message lord give us the faith even lord to to even just take the opportunities to leave a word of scripture perhaps with someone that we know and even leave the rest to thee, knowing that thou art a God who can save and who does save. We even think tonight also just of every other man who would stand and who would proclaim thy truth tonight, that you will give them help, Lord. It's never an easy task, and we know that, Lord. We can do nothing in our own strength. And we pray, Lord, that you will even just give help tonight up and down this land. We thank of our denomination. We thank thee for it. We thank thee for the witness that it takes and the stand that it has. And we pray, Lord, you'll just continue to strengthen it every single day. 
We pray, Lord, even just also for this church. We think of the young people associated with this church as well, and we thank you for those, Lord, who are out on Friday night. We pray for them. We pray that you'll even just speak to their hearts, that you'll help them, Lord, every single day to walk in thy will and to walk according to thy plan and purpose. We pray, Lord, you'll raise up men and women, young people from this church, to go out, Lord, and to serve thee in the ministry and the mission field. We thank thee, Lord, for the call of God just and the very reality that it is in my life. And we pray even just you'll continue to, to speak in my life, Lord, speak in lives in this church. May God be glorified. May he be uplifted. We even just leave everything with thee now, Lord, and knowing that thou art a God who does hear and he answers. So pray we'll continue with us, Lord. Give grace unto grace and help tonight, Lord, as we continue on in thy presence. For it's in Jesus' name we ask those things. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Greg, for leading us to the throne of grace and prayer. We trust you'll continue to remember God's servant as he gets ever closer uh, to his final exams uh, and that the Lord will undertake for him in the coming weeks uh, and months. We're going to sing together again the hymn 300, Hallelujah, Thine the Glory. My God, I have found the thrice blessed ground where life and where joy and where true comfort abound. Standing again to sing our very best things. <clears throat> Let's all stand while we sing.
tonight and we bid you welcome, very warm word of welcome in the Saviour's name to our family night service tonight. And if you're visiting, we're extra special glad to see you. And if you're part of the wider audience online, uh, we have as many listen in to us on a Sunday night as come physically to the building, we welcome you also in the Saviour's name. Refreshments will be served and therefore you're very welcome to join us after the service just here in the fellowship area for something to eat and uh, a cup of tea or coffee or juice, whatever uh, suits your palate. As we think of missions, I don't want to forget to mention this. A mission started today in our Balamina church and the two ministers are responsible for the preaching of the word. So as you're praying uh, for the going forth of the gospel, remember in Balamina this week, it's this day, then Monday through to Friday at 8 o'clock, Reverend John Greer and the Reverend Andrew Stewart are the evangelists. And adding to the list of those that we're praying for, um, we've quite a list of sick people that are in need of the touch of the Lord. Uh, Jennifer has asked us to mention young man by the name of Samuel that lives with William in the same uh, home that cares for these young people. And he's just a 17-year-old, and this week he took very, very ill and is in hospital. He's still very ill, and prayer for him would be very much appreciated. Now let me make the announcements for the incoming week. Tomorrow morning is the Hebron Tots at 10 o'clock. Tomorrow evening is the session meeting at 8 p.m. Tuesday morning is the senior fellowship at 11, and if you're a senior, we'd love to have you be part of the fellowship on Tuesday morning. Tuesday night is the young people's meeting, the children's meeting at 6.30. Mark the time, it's half an hour earlier, because the children are going to get something to eat when they arrive, and this is what is going to be a hot dog and it's bring a friend night. Bring a friend and get them a hot dog. So then they'll have the children's meeting as usual. But invite others to come. And if you know of children, send them out or bring them yourself. On Wednesday evening, the Hebron Ladies Fellowship will take place at 8 o'clock. Anita Shears will be singing. And Christina Logan will be standing in uh, for Elaine. As you know, Elaine's mother in the living castle derg. Uh, is very, very ill at this time, is at the gates of death, and soon she's going to be with the Lord, which is far better, and the family are sitting with her. And so therefore, Christina has very kindly stepped in, and she's going to come and testify. We pray for the school's ministry, these schools that have opened up to us, getting into 14 schools at the present time. On Wednesday, we have the model assembly. Thursday, we have the model scripture union, and that's for four weeks starting last Thursday and then the next number of Thursday afternoons. And then on Friday morning, two schools, the Eden Primary School and then Kilmoyle. Pray for us as we go there. The Mission Board has been going for 50 years and they are celebrating the 50 years of serving the Lord, sending missionaries forth by having a series of meetings this week. And they begin on Wednesday night going through to Saturday night we have announced this extensively. We encourage you to go if you can. On Thursday night here at our own midweek service, we will have a visit of Crown College. We have always had an interest in the ministry of Crown College, but especially now that Kirsty is part of the study program there. And God willing, Kirsty and the others will be here 
on Thursday evening. The meeting is at 8 o'clock. Uh, sadly, I'll not be here because my, I have my final lecture to give at the Christian Workers Training Academy in Tanrigee. But we trust that you'll come and you'll support and encourage uh, this group because they go out, they preach the gospel, they help churches in the mainland, they seek to encourage the work of the gospel, and uh, they, they come from different countries. Many of them are from the United States, but they come from different lands to serve the Lord and, and to study the things of God together. Friday night's a special night because Jonathan's story will be ordained to the Christian ministry and he will be installed as the minister in Mount Marion Free Presbyterian Church. That meeting will be in the Martyrs Memorial. And if you need transport to it and you're not going by your own car, there is a sheet at the door, put your name on it, and we will endeavor to make provision for you to travel to the Martyrs on Friday night. We ask you to pray for Jonathan and his wife, his family, wider family circle comes from this congregation originally and we look forward to seeing what happens on Friday and then the ministry of the Lord's servant in the city of Belfast. Remember next Lord's Day we gather for the prayer meeting at eight o'clock. Uh, we've often stated as one of the, the best prayer meetings of the week and a real sense of the presence of the Lord is known. God has been with us and we had a great prayer meeting this morning. The Sunday school is at 10.30, the Bible class at a quarter to 11, and then our regular meetings, the worship service 12 noon, and in the evening the gospel service at 7, preceded by the time of prayer, and freshmen will be served next Sunday night after the meeting. I want to remind you that the Sunday School Social will be on the 15th of March, and we want to encourage you to come, support the children, support the, the work of the Sunday School in this house, Bring others with you, and if you know of parents of the children, make sure that they come in, and family members too. If you didn't get a copy of the Vision magazine, they're available uh, tonight again, so make sure and get a copy as you leave. I want to bring the one request uh, that we mentioned this morning. We had a number of requests this morning, but I want you to pray for the land of Ukraine. Two years ago, as you know, the war broke out, and the war continues, and seems to be intensifying in certain places and we have heard over the weekend of what happened yesterday in the early hours of the morning in Odessa and the bombings and the, the killings and we're, we're remembering the sorrowing families in this city and we mentioned a young lady and her little son and I'll just read this to you on the night of the 2nd of March Russian troops shelled Odessa with drones one of the drones hit a multi-story building. Anna Gadarze with her four-month-old son, Timothy, daughter of Nikolai, a Ukrainian pastor, were trapped under the rubble. Her husband, Sergei, and daughter miraculously remained intact while in the next room. Sadly, mother and son have been confirmed dead. The baby was found in the arms of his mother under the ruins of their home. And that's the mother and the little one and the whole family there. So sad when this man has been bereft of his wife and his little boy. Then we've also learned of a military couple, Oleg and uh, Titania Taylor. Yesterday morning, the bodies of the mother and their seven-month-old daughter, Lisa, 
were pulled out of the rubble. They are now looking for two more children of the couple under the rubble of the house, nine-year-old Sergius and eight-year-old Slata. So again, this is a family that ought to be in our thoughts and prayers. And we just also saw today that this little boy also lost his life in the bombings of yesterday. So with our Ukrainian friends, and they meet tonight separately down in their own room, uh, we have an interest in Ukraine, particularly because of the families that are here, and we feel for them. Some of these people they're acquainted with, and when they hear of what is happening in their home country, it brings immense grief, as you can imagine. We told you on Thursday night that House of Hope needs to move. This is a home, a Christian home, uh, for old people, disabled people, and there's quite a few in that home, and they're, they're needing to relocate to the west of Ukraine uh, because of the bombings. It's getting very close now again to Kharkiv, and their place is in danger. It seems that the Russians are particularly seeking out to kill Christians, and so they're, they're under threat. And we have just sent this today. This will be the new residence for uh, the House of Hope. So pray as they seek to move uh, the old people, the disabled people, to their new location that the Lord will undertake for that. It will be a very difficult thing to do. These are all the announcements. We come to bring our tithes and our offerings to the Lord. Remember today is let the Bible speak and our missionary covenant support. And as we bring in our offering, let us sing together the hymn 306. It's a hymn of testimony and our sister Margaret, we're so glad to have her tonight and her husband who have come to the meeting. She's going to give her testimony and this is a hymn of testimony. I'm not ashamed to own my Lord or to defend his cause. And Mervyn will lead us in the singing. Thank you. while we sing. verses of the hymn.
It is a joy for us this evening uh, to have with us our dear sister Margaret Cameron and her husband. We bid them welcome in the Savior's name, and I know that you will be blessed in your soul. We've had the joy of being with Margaret on a number of occasions in the past, and we've always enjoyed her company. We've always enjoyed the opportunities that we have had to hear of the grace of God in our dear sister's life. And Margaret, you're welcome to Hebron. I'm going to ask you to come now and to tell what the Lord has done for you. Lord bless you. Well, I thank and praise the Lord that I can come tonight to give a word of testimony to the saving and keeping power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a sinner saved by grace, and that's the most important message to get across today. Um, I suppose I need to start at the beginning. I was born into a Roman Catholic family, um, and if you're ever up to Glen Chain Pass, that's where I came from. We weren't actually born at the top of it, but uh, our house had to be tumbled for them to build the road. So we went to live with my grandfather. My father was an only child, and granddad had a wee small hill farm. And we went up to live with him because my granny had died whenever she was only 54. And granddad was glad to get his son back. He got my mother and three of us as well. And before mum and dad had finished, there were 10 of us. So he got more than he bargained for maybe. But I thank God for the family that I had. And I'm not here tonight to ridicule a particular denomination, but I'm here to tell you how the Lord saved me out of darkness and put my feet on the rock, Christ Jesus. Um, as I say, I was born into that family. I'm the third in the family. I have two older sisters. I have six younger brothers and a younger sister. Um, and from a very early age, uh, we were taught about the things of Rome, both in the home and whenever I got to school. Um, I have to say I went to school very early. Um, my two sisters started school on the same day. There's only 11 months between them. And since I was born the next year, there were 13 months between me, between me and my other sister. So my mother maintained I roared that much whenever my two sisters went to school. She sent me the next day. And I went to school at three and a half, and they kept me there. Not that that did my education much good. I, I can't complain about the education that was offered to us, but I loved school from the day I went to it to the day I left it. There's not many people say that, but I loved the school dinners, as you would know to look at me. I loved the company at school, but we had three really good teachers. But we were taught also in the things of Rome and the school. Um, I suppose my earliest memory of anything that was, had a form of religion about it was at home, at night, with my grandfather. He we would all have kneeled down around the, the fireplace, and uh, one of the, the parents or my grandfather would have given out the rosary, and we would have had to have answered it. Now, many of the night, I fell asleep in the middle of it, and I got a gentle kick in the backside to wake me up. But I can say tonight, I never really learned to pray until the night the Lord saved me. It was a rhyme to me. It was something that had to be done. Something I felt if I followed might get me to heaven. And I don't know what you're doing tonight to get yourself to heaven, but there is no other way to heaven except through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the door. If any man enter in, they must go via him. But I was taught in the things of Rome. I, as I said, I started school three and a half. I went along to Aladloon Primary School. It's no longer there, of course. But I remember going along, and we were taught about the Roman Catholic uh, sac sacraments, as I talked about, and the school. 
the first uh, sacrifice I was taught about was confession. And we, we were told that we had to confess our sins to the priest, that nobody could get into heaven without confessing their sins. If you died as a child, you wouldn't go to heaven, you would go to purgatory. If you died as an adult, you would go to uh, purgatory as well. And I can remember very well thinking about that as a child. I can remember uh, the priest coming into the school every week and teaching us about the things of, of the Catholic Church. And when I came six years of age, along with my two sisters and a lot of other children in that school, although it was a small country school, there was a lot of children. Uh, one of the families in that school had 23 children. We were a small family. Uh, so you can imagine what that was like, but I can remember the priest coming in whenever I was six and teaching us the Roman Catholic Catechism. And whenever he thought that we knew enough, we were allowed to make our first confession. We went down one Saturday afternoon to the chapel and there was two pews full of children. I was the last child in the last pew. And I can remember as we had learned how to say our confessions, but I can remember jumping along every time a child went into the confessional box and came back out again. And it came my turn. And sure, I was that scared going into that confessional box. And when I'd heard the door close and I forgot everything I'd ever learned. So in order for me to think I was getting my sins forgiven, I just made it all up. I told nothing but lies. And you know, I thank God that I've had the opportunity to read God's word and find out from God's word that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Not knowing so at the time, I continued on in the things of Rome. I continued on making the confessions every Saturday. And you didn't miss it if you lived in our house. Uh, whenever we had that done, it was uh, decided then we would make our first communion. And this was another part of the catechism that we went through about the priest changing the Eucharist, as he talked about the wafer into the body and blood of Christ. And I can remember thinking, if that Eucharist touches my teeth, I'm going to hell. That's the things I thought about as a child. I knew even in my darkened state that I was going to hell with my sin the way it was. See, mum and dad never had to teach us to lie or to take things that didn't belong to us. That came naturally because like every person, I was born with my face towards hell and my back towards heaven. I had Adam's nature in me from the day I was born. So I, I was um, uh, leaning towards hell all the time. That was the way I was going. And there's not one of you any different tonight if you're not saved. That's where we're going if you're not saved. Um, anyway, I got ready for my first communion, and I remember going up to the chapel on a Saturday afternoon again, dressed, three of us dressed like we brides, and we went in there and uh, we took our first communion. I suppose those things were big events in our lives. Uh, we lived up there at the top of the Lentian Pass, as I say, and we run about like wild things, I'm sure, but we had a good family. My mother and father had nothing of this world's goods, but they made sure we had food on the table and that we had a happy home to live in. They did their very best for us, the best they knew how. I can remember the first time that uh, the Lord really spoke to me about death and where I might be going was where, when my grandfather was killed on the Atlantean Pass. Granddad was a very precious person in our home, and he was, uh, as I said, my granny had died when she was 54. I can just barely remember her. And I can remember one afternoon, we got a visit from a couple of people to say that granddad had been killed on the Glencian Pass. He was on his way back from his work, goodbye having the hill farm which wouldn't have sustained us. 
Uh, he worked to the DOE, it was at that time. I'm not sure what its name is now. It was the Department of Social Devel Development for a while. Merv could maybe tell you better what it's called. But at that time, he was a surface man. And a lot of you lot know what a surface man was, but they used to keep the drains and the roads in order. And we could do with a few of those now. But nevertheless, uh, grandfather, uh, he would have worked out and his wage helped to sustain our family. That's the truth of it. But granddad was on the road home from work this day and he was on the bicycle. He had called on at Len Chapel to pray over my granny's grave, who had died many years earlier, and he was still praying for her. Uh, and he had called on to pray over her grave, and he got out onto Lenshian Pass and was walking up the hard shoulder, pushing his bicycle with his rosary beads in his hands, and he was killed. Now, that was a wild tragedy in our home. My father took that really, really badly. And I suppose as a young child, it was the first time I had really thought about death coming into the home. And I can remember they couldn't open the coffin, but there was a wake in our house, and there were thousands of people came to that wake. And I can remember just looking at it and thinking, is this what has to be done? But after Grandad uh, was buried, and I suppose my granny and granddad on my mother's side became more precious to us. They lived just outside of Drippertown, a place called Moneyina. And uh, granny was a frail wee lady. She had rheumatoid arthritis. She was on a walking aid. My granddad had bronchitis. And probably if he had been diagnosed properly, he had lung cancer. He was a very heavy smoker. But um, they were getting frailer and they wanted somebody to come up and help them at the weekends and help them during school holidays and that. And unbeknownst to me, my mother and granny had had a conversation. And it was decided that one of us could go up and stay with them at weekends and at school holidays to help granny out. Susanna, the oldest girl in the family, was, I, I think I have a bias because I was the third child, but uh, she definitely wasn't going from home. She thought we were there to look after her, the younger ones. Uh, and she didn't want to leave home. Uh, my next sister, Bridget, she didn't want to leave home for she was a home bird, and I was just mad to get to stay with my granny. I loved her to bits. But for my love and her, I knew if I got to stay with her, I would have a room of my own and I could keep it tidy, because her house was bedlam all the time. Anyway, the Lord would have it that I was allowed to go and stay with granny at weekends. I hadn't went to stay with her very long to my granddad, McGuigan took ill, and he died with bronchitis and again there was the wake and all of that and that made an impression on me. Now after granddad died, my second grandfather died, uh, granny asked my mother if somebody could stay with her all the time because she then got very frail. Unbeknownst to me she was on kidney failure really. Um, the drug of choice at that time for rheumatoid arthritis was codeine and it went to the kidneys eventually and uh, she was very frail, and I was just too glad to get staying on with my granny. Now, my mother and my granny were far smarter than I ever given credit for. By this stage, Susanna and Bridget had both done their 11 plus and got to go to grammar school, and I hadn't done a tap at school, to be honest. I just enjoyed it. Um, but my mother and granny thought that if I stayed with her, the bus stopped outside her gate, and I lived in the Vengian Pass when the weather was bad, we didn't go to school. So mommy thought I was better getting to school every day that I could. So again, I was allowed to live with my granny. And I was living with her for a number of years um, before she took really bad, I suppose. Uh, I did my 11 plus. My mother said that if I worked hard and did my 11 plus, I could go and stay with her all the time. Having done no work for a number of years, just took what was coming to me. I worked very hard for a couple of months, done the 11 plus, passed it, and got to go to the convent school in Macrofelt. They, they really 
finished my education as far as uh, the things of Rome were concerned, the things of the Roman Catholic Church. But I went to live with Granny, and I really was blessed in doing that. I didn't realize the Lord had it all planned from eternity. I stayed with Granny for about a year and a half, a year just coming on a year and a half, and I loved her to bits. Uh, however, one of the things that really annoyed me about her was my mother and father were devout Roman Catholics. She was far worse. And she would have walked up to the chapel on her hands and knees if she could have done it. But the first thing she made me do, and I thought I was going to get a lion Saturday morning, having just went to live with her, she wakened me up and sent me up to the chapel to join the League of Mary. I thought this was great. I was going to join something with a uniform. But what I did on a Saturday was I scraped candle wax off the candlesticks. I polished the idols that were in the chapel. That was what I'd done. I didn't realize that's what it entailed. But that's what Granny had me doing. But I, as I said, I loved living with her. But more importantly, as part of my conversion, the Lord had that ordained that I would go and live with her. And I lived with her because God was separating me out for a purpose. I stayed with her for that year and coming into this, uh, the year and a half. I came home from school one day. My uncle Joe had, had two shops in Mahara and he wasn't supposed to be at home that day. My uncle lived at home. He was a bachelor until he was 56, so he took a long forenoon. Um, and he was living with Granny at that time. And he was always out and about, never at home on a Thursday. And this day he was at home. It wasn't his half day in the shop. And I said, hey, what are you doing here, Joe? And he says, Granny's in hospital. She was very ill, Margaret. And I didn't realize how ill until I went over with him that evening. And she was on a, a ventilator. Um, and she was on that ventilator for three days. And I sat beside my granny throughout that time, unless when they made me go home to go to bed. And I can remember watching her and watching her very carefully, just coming to the, the gateway of death. And I remember the priest coming in and giving her the last rites. But my granny went out and returned to crying. And I could see the tears running out of her face, out of her eyes. And I remember thinking, Lord, don't let me die like that. I don't want to die and not be sure where I'm going. Again, the Lord has started to take the scales off my eyes. Anyway, Granny passed away, and there was a wake and a funeral for her, and that was a real performance as well. And you know my Granny's dead now since 1973, and they're still saying masses to get her out of purgatory. You thank God that you come to a Bible-believing church where you hear the Word of God. That's a real privilege. And if you're in this house tonight, or you're listening in, and you've been taught by Christian parents and you're not saved. You thank God tonight you had those Christian parents who brought you up to know the Word of God, and you believe the Word of God, because you know none of us, not one of us in this church or anywhere in this world, choose the family we're born into or choose the denom denomination that we're born into, but you will choose yourself where you spend eternity. You choose wisely. Anyway, I stayed on with my Uncle Joe after Granny passed away, and I went on to school. Again, I absolutely loved school. Many a thumping I got on it. I can tell you the nuns gave me many a thumping for I wouldn't do my homework and I wouldn't listen. And I don't say that lightly. I would say to young people here, take the opportunity of education when you get it. I had to go back when I was a bit older and redo the things and God gave me that opportunity to do that. But at that time, I was just interested in playing camogie. I was just interested in having a social aspect of school. Anyway, I'd worked on until I was 14 and 15 years of age. And our careers teacher, who was a nun, uh, which is a bit of an oxymoron because she was a nun and she didn't really go out into the world, 
but she decided to have a careers day and have her parents on that evening. And we all had wee slots to go on. And I went on this afternoon to her and she says to me, Margaret, what are you going to do with your life? And just like that, I said, I'm going to be a policewoman. Oh, she says, does your daddy know that? And I says, no, I never spoke to my daddy about it. But I knew she was going to that evening. I always wanted to be a policewoman when I was growing up. And you might think this is nonsense, but we were reared in a house with guns in it. I mean, legal guns. Where we lived, there was a lot of illegal guns. But these were, my father was into clay pigeon shooting and duck shooting and that. And we were used to going out with the guns to a clay pigeon shooter that. And I always thought if I was in the police, I would get a gun. Now, what you wanted a gun around in the early 1970s for? But as a child, and that's all I was, I was thinking I would like to be in the police. Anyway, I told the nun this, and that evening my mother and father came over, and Susanna and Bridget had already done quite well, and they had gone on to train as nurses. And my father came in, and I'll, I'll never forget it, he took off his wee flat cap, and he sat down, and the nun, the first thing she said to him was, and your daughter's going to be a policewoman. And he says, no, she's not. She's going to be a nurse like that mother too, and like it. And he says, you'll get us all shot around there. So anyway, it was decided that I would go to nursing, and again, the Lord had that ordered. It's wonderful the way the Lord steps in. And you know, every time I sing that hymn, he sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. I can see how the Lord sought me. And if you're here tonight and you're unsaved, the Lord is seeking you. He loved me ever before I knew him. And he loved you. He loved me enough and he loved you enough to die on the cross for our sins because we couldn't pay the price. No one else could have paid the price but the one and only Lord Jesus Christ. Anyway, it was decided that day by my father and the nun that I would be a nurse. I always had an interest in working with people with special needs. At that time, they talked about people with mental handicap. My two sisters were trained to be general nurses, but I just wanted to go to train as a special needs. And that was because we had a neighbor who had a learned disability and he was a very interesting man to watch and to work with. And the Lord created that interest for a purpose. Anyway, um, it was also decided that day that since I hadn't worked the way I should have worked at school, that I would do whatever exam I could. And then I would leave the tech, or leave uh, the convent in June and start the tech in September to do a pre-nursing course. That was, you did this course for nine months, and if you passed the exams, you could then get into training as a nurse. So that was what happened. I spent the summer at home with my uncle. Um, September came, and I started the tech in Macrofelt. And from the day I started the tech, God started to speak to me in a real way. I can remember the first day I was on that tech, I seen this girl wearing a Jesus Saves badge. Now, I'd never seen that in my life. And I remember saying to one of the girls who I had grown up with, what does that badge mean? And she says, you stay away from those people. They're very dangerous. They're Bible thumpers. And that's what I was told to do, stay away from them. I grew up among the IRA, and this was a dangerous person, the person who knew her Bible. But anyway, that lady, really, that young girl, really, really made an impression on me, not because of what she said to me, but because of the way she lived her life. And I say with shame tonight, that every second word I said was the Lord's name. Every second word, I didn't know any better. I used God's name, I used the Lord's name. And I had no qualms about doing that. And yet with all this girl was so different in her speech, she was so different in her behavior, she was so different in the way she acted. When we would have been in for her lunch, she would have sat down and bowed her head and thanked God for her food, not in a showy way, 
but in a very reverent kind of a way. And her life made an impression on me. So I would say to the Christians here tonight, and I take it on board myself, your testimony really speaks to people. Be very careful about the way you walk with the Lord. Anyway, I watched her for nine months and she made an impression with me. I knew she was different and she had something that I would have liked. I applied, I did the week, uh, course, I did the exams that came with it and by God's grace I passed it and I was taken up to Mukamurabi to train as a nurse. Now, I got a letter on the Friday to say I could go to Mukamur to train as a nurse and on the Saturday I got a letter to say I could go to Macrofelt. The Lord had it ordained. If I had got the letter from Macrofell first, Daddy would have sent me there because my sisters were there. But anyway, the Lord had it. I would go to Antrim to train as a nurse. And it's not like now, not everybody had a car. Um, and it was like, Daddy, they were going to put me in Iceland. You'd have thought I was going to Iceland. It was only down the road, like, but I, I just never had travelled that far from home. But anyway, I went to Muckamore that July. I left the tech in June of 1976. I went to Muckamore to train as a nurse in July of 1976. And I have to say, from the day I entered Muckamore's doors, the Lord really took me in hand. A lot of people have heard a lot of bad reports about Muckamore, but at that time, there was a lot of good nurses, and still are, I'm sure. And I can say that I thank God for the day that he took me up the road. I didn't thank him at the time. I remember going up the road to train as a nurse, and uh, it was a Sunday afternoon, Mum and Daddy had lifted me, and my uncles, I had packed my clothes. I went in, uh, and it was a wee, just a wee nurse's room with a bed, a bedside locker, a table and a chair for studying at, and a wash hand basin and a wardrobe. And they let me off, and I was excited about getting away from home. But I was lonely as well, because I was used to family. And that evening, I was putting away all my bits and pieces. I left, I hung up the crucifix my mother had given me, I left out my prayer book and my rosary beads and I was just about getting things into shape when my door got a knock and it was a girl called Sharon Wiley from Ballymena. I didn't talk like the natives then, but I do now. Uh, and uh, I can remember uh, she had something in her hand and she says, you're Margaret. And I wondered how she knew, but her names were all in the bedroom doors so she, she could read, obviously. Um, Anyway, she came in and she said, I wanted to give you this. She says, I'm going to be going through the School of Nursing with you. I'm in the same group, and I wanted to give you this. And I says, what is it? And she says, it's a gospel tract. And immediately it came into my head, that's one of those Bible thumpers. I need to be careful here. And I remember her saying to me, do you know that you need to be saved? Now, I'd never heard tell of being saved in my life. And all my years, I had never heard I needed to be saved. I was 16 half of the time. I'd never seen a gospel tract in my life. I often wonder where the gospel tracks in the area, but the Lord answered that question for me recently, and I'll tell you how that happened later on. But that night, or that, that evening, Sharon says, Margaret, uh, you know that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and my sins, and that he shed his blood, and that he was buried, and that he rose again, having done the work, and the work was completed. And if you want to be in heaven, you have to put your faith in him. Well, I was mad. I thought, she think I'm an ignoramus from the top of the Lentian Pass. Instead of that, she was trying to witness to me. But I can remember her thinking to myself, I wish she would stop talking. And eventually, she says, well, I'll go now and I'll see you in the morning. Because the next morning was Monday morning and we were starting in the School of Nursing. And I thought, not if I see you first. And that was the intention in my head. But I thank God that he was merciful unto me. 
Anyway, the next morning I got up early. We had to be in the school of nursing for half eight. I went up to the canteen. You weren't allowed to cook in the nurses' homes. So we went up to the canteen to get some breakfast and there was Sharon sitting. But I fell in with two girls of my own sort and I thought I'm going to stick with them. Anyway, um, we walked over to the school of nursing and I had eight weeks in the school of nursing. And Sharon spoke to me every day, five days a week, about the gospel and how to be saved. She never missed an opportunity. And she always spoke from God's word. She, I never seen her carrying the Bible with her into class, but she knew God's word from a child. And she knew it in her heart. So it's so important to learn when you're young. And she was able to speak to me from God's word to tell me why I needed to be saved. And this really bothered me because I thought, I have nothing but prayer books and rosary beads and I can't answer what she's saying. We had a Bible in our home. We had a due version of the Bible, but it was only allowed to be lifted down when the priest came into the house because we were taught we were too ignorant to read the Bible and understand it. Anyway, um, for those eight weeks, Sharon tortured me, I thought. Every time I sat down, she had a word in season for me. And I often wonder in my own life when I'm sitting down at night, to the quiet time, have I witnessed to the people that I should have witnessed to today? Don't miss an opportunity to speak to the unsaved. The thing that amazed me about her, she was always gracious about it. She was never ignorant. And she always used God's word. It wasn't her words. It was the Lord's words. Anyway, those eight weeks were an absolute torture to me. I used to look at her and think, is she picking on Roman Catholics? I'm sure if there had been an equality commission, I'd have reported her. But then I noticed she spoke to the Protestants. She spoke to the Catholics. She spoke to the nursing tutors. She spoke to the patients who had understanding that they needed to be saved. And she did it in such a gracious way that nobody could tackle her about it. Anyway, for those eight weeks, I tried to avoid her. I looked where she sat down. I sat on the opposite side of the room. And then I thought, if I can get out of this school of nursing and onto the ward, she'll never find me. Because it was a big place at that time. There was 1,200 beds there. And I thought, if I get there, at least I'll not be near her. Uh, the day came when we were to finish in the class and we were to go out onto the nurses or onto the wards. We went away and get kitted out for a uniform. We put on a uniform. We thought we were nurses at eight weeks in school. Uh, anyway, they t let us loose on the wards the next day. Uh, I looked that day when the postings were put up where we were going to, what ward I was in. But first of all, I looked what ward Sharon was in because I didn't want to be near her. She was uh, posted to a ward called C9 and I was posted to a ward called C8. They were beside other. They were like semi-detached houses. I thought I'm not even going to get away from her. I can remember walking over that first Monday morning and she was talking to me about she had prayed for me and she hoped all would go well on the, on the placement that day and that she would be praying for me throughout the day and I thought I wish I was in that ward because when you went into the wards then you locked the door behind you because some people weren't able to maintain their own health and safety and I went down and the, ward, the door was locked behind me and I thought at least I'm away. I'm not here today and the Lord had it all planned. I remember going in that morning and they allocated some duties for us, some light duties. The first one was um, getting people what? Washed and dressed and toileted. And then I was to make beds. And the next thing they done was send me to the laundry to put away the laundry. Now I was used to doing laundry for 10 people, 10 children and mum and daddy. There was a, a, a ward full of 30 odd people. And I was doing, putting away the laundry for them. And I thought this is a, a some job this. And I was fairly thick that morning when I went up to the laundry with this big basket of washing I can tell you and I went into the, the, the wee laundry room and I could feel somebody coming in behind me and I can remember looking around and there was this girl standing she says 
I'm up to help you with the laundry. I says, that's good. She says, my name's Mary Orange. Now, I always say this, you would have known she had to be a Protestant with a name like that. But she was from Tobermore. And Mary had me locked in the laundry. And she was a born-again Christian. So not only had Sharon spoken to me in the morning, I had Mary all day that day. And on the days that Mary wasn't on duty and Sharon didn't get me going over to the ward or coming home from the ward, there was another girl called Elizabeth Atchison. Uh, she was a brethren girl and she spoke to me about needing to be saved. I'd done 12 weeks on the, on the ward with hearing the gospel every day after those eight weeks. And this was coming up near November, my head was boiled. For by Sharon speaking to me in a very gracious way, Elizabeth and Mary spoke to me. They gave me gospel tracts, they gave me wee booklets, and I couldn't throw any of those things out. We'd always been taught to respect other people. I couldn't throw them out, and I left them beside my prayer book, and for by reading my prayer book, I was reading them, and they were clearly showing me that I needed to be saved. But I can remember this particular day, we were finishing off that week on the wards, and I was working on the wards, and I can remember I had a wee booklet that I had to get signed off that had all these wee chores done. To, you had to do certain things to be signed off. And I had left it in with Marty, who was the, Marty Holmes, who was the charge nurse. And Marty says, you'll have to come back another day, Margaret, and I'll get it filled in for you having time, really. So there was a group of joiners working up in Muckmore at that time. I was coming 18. I was coming near 18 years of age. I was looking for a boyfriend, and I thought, I might meet somebody here. But I can remember one of the joiners in particular started to smile over at me, and I smiled back at him, and I thought he was nice. And I can remember wishing I could get speaking to him, but never did. Uh, and I was finishing up on the ward anyway, and I came out of the ward that day, and my head was in a bit of a turmoil, having heard Elizabeth all morning, having been thinking about other things. And I came out of the ward that day, and there, just as I came out of the ward, I seen Sharon come out of her ward, and I thought, I'm not even going to get away from her now. And then I saw my other two friends walking, and I ran to catch up with them, and Sharon was quicker than me. And anyway, as we were walking, Sharon was speaking to us and witnessing to us about her need of salvation. And I was really frazzled. And I remember saying to her, something smart, and started to mock her. And I knew in my heart it was wrong to mock, because we were taught not to mock other people's religion, not to be disrespectful. But I can remember, Sharon stopped dead where she was walking, and she turned to me and says, Margaret, I'm going to say something to you, and I want you to listen to me. Don't you mock God. It says in God's word, God's not mocked. She says, I don't care what you say about me, but don't mock God. And that really arrested me, and she had me on the hop. And the next thing she said was, I want the three of you, this was myself and Anne and Bruna, to go along to the Nurses' Fellowship on Monday night. And I want you to hear the gospel once, and after that I'm going to leave you be. And for a split second I thought, that wouldn't be a bad thing. It'll get rid of her and keep, make her keep quiet. And I remember her saying, now, only once. And I said, well, Sharon, I'll not be going because I'm not allowed into Protestant church. That's a sin. We were taught that's a sin to go into Protestant church. Well, she says, that's fine, Margaret, because it's in the Christian fellowship. It's in the nursing school of nursing. And you've been in it for eight weeks. So I had no excuse. Neither had Brona or Anne. So we decided that, God willing, we would go along on the Monday night and it would keep her quiet. And we went along that Monday night. We were to go home for Christmas, but we stayed on and we decided we'd go along on the Monday night. And I remember going into the meeting that night and Anna and Bruno was laughing and joking and with myself as well. And I remember thinking, this will be the end of it. And that night we went into that nurses' fellowship. There was to be a pastor there from the 
Elam and Antrim that Pastor Roy Kerr, but he didn't make it because something had happened to his car. And whenever he came in, or whenever Sharon came in, she was telling us this news, and I said, this will be a carry-on now. What do you see this? And uh, Sharon says, I'm going to open God's Word. I'm going to share God's Word with you. And then she says, I'll just try and explain. She said she didn't believe in women preachers, but she said, I'm going to try and explain what God is saying through his word. And for the first time in my life, I heard the Bible verse, John chapter 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I remember Sharon read that, and I was just immediately struck that that was telling me I could go to heaven, that if I believed in the Lord, I would get to heaven. And you know, I was always taught to believe that you're going to heaven before you die. It was a sin of presumption. That's one of the things you're taught in the Catholic Church. And I remember thinking, that, that, that would be fantastic if you could be sure of heaven. And she read it again, and she put my name in the whosoever, and I was raging at her. And that big nurse's school, there was 12 people in it, her reading my name out. And then she read Anne's name out, and then she read Brunus. But then she turned to Matthew chapter 24. And, you know, I thought, and I've talked to her many times about it since. It was a funny portion of Scripture to read, but the Lord spoke to me through it. But of that, uh, Matthew 24 and verse uh, 36, it says, But of that day and hour no man knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And this is the bit that really spoke to me. Then shall two be in the field, one shall be taken and one shall be left, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. And that just really convicted me of my sin. And it convicted me and convinced me that I was going to hell. And if the Lord was to come back, I would be in hell that night. I remember one night in particular when I was living with my uncle. And I looked back to it that night when Sharon read that portion. And I remember it was a wild stormy night. It brought trees down and all. And I was in the house on my own. And I had three wee statues in my room. One, one of Mary and one of some saint or other and one of another saint, and I remember bringing these down and praying to them that I wouldn't die and go out into darkness. You see, I knew in my darkened state I was going to hell. And if you're here tonight and you're not saved, you know in your heart that you can't go into heaven the way you are. We're all born in sin. It doesn't matter what denomination you are. We're all born in sin. All we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And to get into heaven, you have to be saved. And that night I knew if God came back, I'd heard I needed to be saved, I'd heard how to be saved. I wanted to be saved that night. And in November of 1976, I wanted to ask the Lord into my heart. And I looked to my friends who were with me, I had two friends with me, and I looked to them and they were laughing and giggling. And I laughed with them. And that night when I went back to the nurse's home, I did anything but laugh. I go down on my knees and got the rosary beads down and I said, Lord, please don't let me die now. Please don't let me die tonight. I know I need to be saved, but I'll wait till I'm older. That night went by, and I went home for Christmas. I had the most miserable Christmas ever. It was terrible. 
and Mummy kept saying to me at Christmas, we all got together for Christmas, there was usually about 23 of us, and I had the most miserable Christmas, and Mummy said to me, what is wrong with you, Margaret? And I said, well, Mummy, there's nothing wrong with me. She says, there's something bothering you, and you need to tell me what it is. And I said, no, there's nothing. I was too scared to talk about it, because I knew the bear racket. Christmas came and went, and on New Year's Eve, found me down in Newton Arts Hospital. Um, and it was a funny thing. I thought if I got to Newton Arts, I would be away from all those people. I would get my head shired. I was away from my family. I didn't have to worry about them. I didn't have to worry about the Christians, and they wouldn't be witnessing to me. And I would get peace for a wee while and get my thoughts straightened. But I went on to the words. I went down New Year's Eve night and had to start, had to start New Year's Day on the word because it was a quiet day, and the sister was going to take time with us to show us what we needed to be doing. So then I went New Year's Day to the ward, and this sister came out, and she sat us down, and she talked to us for a while, and she says, Margaret, I'm going to be looking after you. I says, that's good. She says, you know, I'm a born-again Christian. I thought they're everywhere, everywhere. Because just before I went home for Christmas, after I had been to that nurse's fellowship, and that's what really annoyed me over Christmas, I had been packing up my stuff in my room, putting all my stuff into a bag, and the door got a knock. I had picked up my wee book that had been sent off by Marty. I hadn't seen the joiner that had been on the ward, but I was putting away my stuff, and I opened the door when it got a knock, and there was a joiner standing. And I thought, this is great, he's here to ask me out. No, he wasn't there to ask me out. He says, um, Margaret, I hope you don't mind me coming over to your room. He says, I spoke to Marty and he told me where you lived. And he says, uh, I'm coming over to ask you something. And I thought, great, he's going to ask me out. And he said, do you know that you need to be saved? See, God had sought me and he'd put people in my way to tell me I needed to be saved. And I thought when I got away from those people after Christmas, because I couldn't get the door closed quick enough on the joiner, and I went home for Christmas, and that really bothered me. These people were on my way. Didn't God put those people in my way as stumbling blocks for me on the road to hell? Who's God using to speak to you? Anyway, that sister was a saved person, and she made sure she told me every day about how she had got saved and why I needed to be saved. And every day I had another task to do, and she told me I needed to be saved. But this day in particular, after she had introduced I was a couple of weeks in the ward, and I was about to finish in that ward and go to the children's ward, I had to follow a person through theatre and out the other side. Now, I had never been in a theatre. I'd never seen what went on within it, and I wasn't a bit particular about doing it, I have to say. I was scared. Um, but anyway, um, she allocated me this case I was to follow, and it was a man in his early 80s. He was coming in for a laparoscopic examination that day, and I was to admit him in. I was to take him down to the anaesthetic room take a man through theatre, wait till the procedure was done, come out the other side. She'd explained all this to me. And I thought, well, she might have given me something exciting to do, working with an 83-year-old man. See, at that time, whenever I was coming 18 years of age, I thought 83 was very old. Now it's not so old at all. I'm telling you, it's fast coming, if the Lord spares. Anyway, I went over to speak to the man, and I was doing the wee booklet that we got uh, to fill out for his admission. And uh, just as I was coming to the bit, I talked about death, dying, and spirituality. I didn't know how to approach this with the man. And uh, I thought to myself, I'll not scare him. And I said to him, um, would you like your minister of religion to visit you when you're in hospital? And just as I said that, I looked up and there's a Bible sitting. I thought it couldn't be another. And there he says to me, no, I, I go to the assembly there. I don't have a minister. But he said, I'm ready for heaven. He says, what about you? 
There it was, another Christian speaking to me and him going in for an examination. And he never stopped speaking to me about being saved until I got into the anesthetic room. I had to get him to Mazepan after I got him admitted to get him to sleep. I tell you, you never seen a man getting medicine as quick in his life. Eventually, he went to sleep telling me I needed to be saved. I took him down to theatre on the trolley with the porter. We got into theatre, and then he should have woke him up to check his name and his identity. And then he started to preach to both me and anaesthetist. The Lord had those people in my way. And that's what I mean by saying he sought me and he bought me. And I wonder tonight, who has been speaking to you? Who's God put in your way? Anyway, I went on through theatre. As I say, I was terrified to get into theatre. If you've never been on one, the first time's a scary experience. Never mind to the person on the table. But anyway, I got the man transferred onto the operating table with help. And I stepped back till I hit the wall. And the big anaesthetist, he was a big, tall, skinny man. And he said to the sister that was there, what's that we nurse that came in as that patient? And I says, I'm back here. He says, get up here at my elbow. So I came forward to his elbow, and he was a Professor Mead Smythe. Um, he was a very famous surgeon around that time. Of the, that time. Anyway, um, he explained to me what he was for doing. He was doing a laparoscopic examination. If he couldn't see what he needed to see, to see, he had permission to open the man up to get right in to see what was wrong. So he started to do this procedure, and he says, no, we're going to have to open, do open surgery here and just see what's wrong. So he, he did all of that, and he started to bring out the man's bowel. He brought out his bowel, and he brought it out, and he brought it out. As a true saying in God's word, we're wildly and wonderfully made. Anyway, when he did this all sitting out, he says to me, what do you think that is? And I says, I'm not sure. It might be the large bowel. He says, that's right. What do you think this is? I says, that might be the small bowel. He says, that's right. And he says, what do you think this is? And he showed me three or four different places. I says, I don't know. He says, that's cancer, and it's all through this man. But he says, we're just going to uh, stitch him up and make him comfortable. For he says, this man's ready to meet his savior. He said, he goes to the same assembly as me, and his wife has gone on before. And he says, he knows that he's ready, and I know that he's ready. He says, what about you? And I would ask you tonight, what about you? Are you ready for eternity? Anyway, I thought to myself, if I can get out of here, I'll be okay. If I can get out unscathed. So the operation was over. I took him out to the wee um, recovery room, and I had to take his orbs every 15 minutes. And I'm sitting taking his orbs, and the man starts to come around. He says to me, well, dear, what did they find? And I says, I'll get you a nurse. I'm sitting there with a hat and all on. I says, I'll get you a nurse. He says, you'll do. And I says, no, I'll not do it because I don't know anything. I'll get you somebody that knows, like the doctor or that. And he said, no, he says, I know what they found. And he says, I'm going to be with my saviour and I'll see my wife again. He says, what about you if it was you? And I went home that night and I cried miserably in my room. And I can remember thinking that was in February. Worked on until February. And I think, I th I'm thinking to myself, if I can get finished here and get back to Muckamore, it's not such a bad place. That was okay. Um, I finished in that ward the following week. I was sent around to children's for two weeks, and I'm not a children's nurse by any means, I can tell you, but I went into the children's ward, and I was doing what I had to do on there. And I can remember my last day on the ward. Um, this wee girl was in. It was a common case. We all knew about it. Um, the wee girl was four years of age. She had leukemia. She was in the end stages of it. Um, she was in the mother's arms. The father had just gone to get a bite to eat. And the mother says to me, Margaret, or nurse, could you nurse this child till I go into the toilet? Or to the bathroom and I says I certainly and I took the child in my arms the mother went off to the bathroom 
the father hadn't returned and the child died in my arms. And you see, the minute that child took his last breath and went into eternity, God spoke to me and said, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. I remember finishing in that ward. They did a debriefing session with me. I went off. The parents were distraught. I went off and I thought to myself, I need to get back to Muckamore. And I finished, packed up, went back to Muckamore at the end of February. I can remember going back into Muckamore and Sharon sought me out. And she said, Margaret, are you coming to the fellowship tonight? On the Monday. And I said, well, surely. And I went back to the fellowship. She gave me a Bible. At the fellowship, the joiner was there playing the guitar. Um, the both of them spoke to me that night about being saved. Elizabeth spoke to me during the week about being saved. Mary spoke to me. And I just really couldn't sleep at night. I knew I needed to be saved. And on the 25th of March, 1977, I can remember going home from the nurses' fellowship on the Monday night, thinking to myself, I need to be saved now. And I got into the room that night and I got down on my knees and I prayed to the Lord that he would let me live my life and then I would get saved at the end of it. And I thought of a granny who had no, de no deathbed repentance as far as I knew. Anyway, I went to sleep that night and I, I never had a flash in lights or dreams or anything. I just dreamt a dream that I had died and gone to hell. And I can remember every person that the Lord put in my pathway to stop me going to hell. I remember every word of scripture that he had given me. People that had shown me the way to heaven. How the Lord had died on the cross for my sins. And I remember waking up at a quarter to two in the morning and I went down the corridor in my pajamas to Sharon's room. It was at the bottom of the corridor. And I went to knock her door. And Sharon was on her knees at the bedside. The door opened and I put my knuckles to the door. And I says to her, Sharon, I'm sorry to disturb you when you're praying, but I need to get saved. And she says, I know you do, Margaret. Elizabeth and Mary and a few of us saw the state you were on tonight. And we decided we'd pray all night for you. It is a blessing to have people praying for you. Anyway, that night I got down my knees and I prayed that the Lord would save First of all, whenever Sharon spoke to me about why I needed to be saved that night, and I have to say this, even at that late stage, and I knew where I was going, I kept resisting. And she spoke to me and she said, Margaret, this is your time for salvation. You need to be saved. And I said to her, I started to argue with her, and I said, Sharon, I'm not a bad person, you know. I don't live immorally. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I know that I need to be saved, but I'm not a bad person. She says, Margaret, I'm not judging you whether you're a bad person or not. I'm saying that we are all going astray. You need to be saved. She says, let's go to a portion of the scriptures. And she took me to Exodus 20. And she read the first number of verses in Exodus 20. And God convicted me of my sin. I'm the Lord thy God, which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. They shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the waters under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down themselves to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God. I'd spent my life before idols. She went on reading the commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Every Sunday we broke the Sabbath day we played camogie. We went to mass in the mornings to do what we had to do. Then we played camogie and then we went to dances and things. And she kept on going. Before she had finished, I knew that I had to be saved, that I was the sinner that Christ died for, that I had no right to point my finger at other people. I was reared in a system that talks about venial sins and 
mortal sins. The small sins don't really matter. The big ones do. But you know, every sin had to have a price paid for it. And the Lord Jesus Christ paid that price in Calvary. And if you're to believe in him, confess your sins to him and believe in him, he will take away your sin. And that night, Sharon led me to the Lord. God having convicted me of my sin. And I prayed the sinner's prayer. And immediately, I prayed the sinner's prayer, the devil attacked me. Immediately. If you never know there's a devil, you'll know when you're saved. And that night, I said to Sharon, I'm never going to be able to keep that. She says, that's right, Margaret, you'll never keep it. The Lord keeps you. He does the saving, and he does the keeping. And she turned up the scriptures, and she read from Jude, and she read verse 24. And it says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And 47 years ago, on the 25th of March this year, I'll be saved 47 years. The Lord saved me and he has kept me. And no matter what came along, and it hasn't always been easy, I can't say that if you get saved tonight, it's all going to be easy. But it's, nothing has been too difficult to the Lord. Not one thing. The Lord saved me that night and he has kept me. After I got saved then, my mum, I had to tell mummy and daddy. And I was really worried about that. I was worried about hurting them. I was worried about offending them. I was worried about them being angry at me, about them kicking me out. All those things that a human being worries about. And I didn't tell them for three weeks. And this day Sharon spoke to me. She was praying with me every day and taking me through the scriptures. And she said, Margaret, if you don't tell your mom and daddy, the devil's getting the victory over your testimony. So I prayed about it and God gave me the courage to go up this day. I was off. And I went to my mum's house instead of my Uncle Joe's house where I lived. And I, mum and daddy were both in the house. And I remember going in and saying to them, and I was just 18 years of age at this stage. And I went in and I said, Mummy and Daddy, I have something to tell you. And immediately my father was suspicious. I brought out the Bible. Sharon had given me a copy of the Living Bible. The joiner then had given me a copy of the King James Version with bits marked on it to read. So I had the King James Version with me and I said, look what one of my friends had given me from Muckamore. And Daddy immediately said, what sort of people are you on about with, Margaret? Are they Catholics? I says, no, they're Christians. They're born again Christians. And I'm saved now too. I got saved three weeks ago. And Daddy knocked me out. He literally lifted his fist and knocked me out. Now, Daddy didn't ever thump us. Mommy gave us many to thrashing because we needed it. But Daddy knocked me out that day. And whenever I came around, he lifted me to the scruff of the neck. And he says, you'll get down to Muckamore and you'll pack your bags and you'll come out of there. And you'll come home where we can keep an eye on you. And I says, no, Dad, that's not the way this is going to work. I says, I'm saved now for time and eternity. And the Lord can save you too. And I had a lot to learn about how to witness to people. What did I say to my father? I said to daddy, the Lord saved Martin Luther and he can save you too. Well, to my father, Martin Luther was a heretic. So daddy lifted me to the scruff of the neck and put me out the door and told me not to come back. Out I went. And I was really, really annoyed. My wee brother was only three. And I was very fond of the family. But the Lord had a plan on it. Out I went. And I got down to Muckmore. I thumbed it down to Muckamore Abbey. You wouldn't be at it today. But I thumbed a lift down to Muckamore Abbey and I got down to Muckamore and the minute I got in the door, the phone was ringing. It was my mother and she says, have you changed your mind? I says, no, mum, I'm saved and that's the way it is. And she slammed the phone down. And you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had to take that to the Lord in prayer. And that's one of the things I had to learn when I got saved was taking it to the Lord and leaving it there. Because I didn't know how it would be fixed. But the Lord knew and he had it worked out. He wouldn't speak to me for a long time. 
But in the meantime, the joiner asked me if I would start to go out with him. And I had said, yes, I would. And we started to go out together as boyfriend and girlfriend. I was looking for a church to join. And Danny already belonged to the uh, Free Church in Portland, or Resharkin. But I didn't want to join the Free Church because of Dr. Paisley. I didn't know anything about him, but he scared the wots out of me. And I didn't really want to join the Free Church. So I spent the next couple of months going around different churches to see where the Lord would have me. And I laid the fleece out before the Lord. And I said, Lord, I need to go to a church where I'm going to get taught the Word of God. I don't know it, so I need somebody to teach me. And I went around a few churches, and this Sabbath day that I was off, Danny said to me, I want you to come along to Balamina Free just to hear the preaching in the, Bal- in the Free. And I says, I'm not going to Dr. Paisley's church, Danny. He says, no, well, Dr. Paisley will not be there. So I went into the church. It was in the town hall in Balamina at the time. They were building a new church. And um, the Reverend S.B. Cook got up to preach. And I had asked the Lord in my quiet time that if he was to save somebody in that meeting, I, I would, that would be con- confirmation for me that I was going to that church. And that morning, the Reverend S.B. Cook preached on the unpardonable sin and four souls were saved. The Lord really confirmed. So the Lord led me to a church. Now, I had a lot to learn, and I had to spend time learning it. I had really very little support. Uh, Sharon and them supported me, and God was there, and he was with me in every step of the way. Danny's mother uh, had heard about me getting saved, and we'd started to go out together, and she said, that wee girl that you're going out with, bring her here on her days off, and I'll work with her. Danny's mother left school at 14. Um, she had worked on a farm with her father, a very hard life, but she was a very godly woman, very, very godly, quiet woman, and godly in her ways. She was the wisest woman I ever knew because she knew the word of God. And she took time with me on my days off and taught me the things of the scriptures. I thank God for whenever the devil tried to take something away, God replaced it tenfold. And I'm so thankful for my, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. We got engaged then and we decided to get married. My mother thought it was bad making a profession of being saved. She thought it was bad going out with a Protestant, but if I was to marry a free Presbyterian, she thought that was the thin hat on it. So she decided she would take me to see the priest. So they took me to see the priest this Saturday, this Sunday. I wouldn't go into the Mass, but they took me to see the priest afterwards, round into the sacristy where he got dressed. And uh, he was very nice to start with. But he turned out very rough at the end. And he said to me, uh, how do you think an ignorant wee girl like you would know the scriptures? I went to Manus for seven years. And I said, well, the Lord says in the Bible that a man knoweth full shall not err therein. And I says, God has shown me that I need to be saved. I says, bring me your due version of the Bible. It says in John 3 and 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And he says, what would you know? And I says to him, I want to ask you something. What did you say to my granny when you were given her last rites? Because that was the same priest. He says, I told her to trust in Christ, for I could do nothing more for her. Well, I says, I'm trusting Christ when I'm living because I don't know if I'm going to get a deathbed repentance. And nobody knows. And you know, he, he put me out that day. I suppose I got used to being put out. I used to leave, always leave my handbag at the back door because I knew I was going out at some stage. For a few years, that was the way it was. But God brought Mommy and Daddy around. And for 37 years, I witnessed to my mother and father. And every time I'd left a gospel tract, I got a meeting. And Danny got men as a meeting too, and he never turned the word on them. But I have to say that God was gracious. One, about a year after I was saved, I was in turmoil about my family not being saved. 
And I can remember I was doing Robert Murray McShane's daily readings, and it takes you through your Bible once a year, for I needed to develop that habit of getting into God's Word. And that, that day, my reading was Joshua chapter 2, and I went to the Lord and I turmoil about my family, and I said, Lord, I need to see them saved. And I remember going to the Lord that day and saying to him, please show me something from your word that will confirm me that they'll not be in hell. And that day I read Joshua chapter 2. And in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 13, and it says there, I will save alive your mother and your father, your brother and your sisters, and all that they have. So I leaned on that. And for 37 years I prayed for my family, not seeing any of them saved. Now, God was merciful, but on many occasions some of my brothers would have came to our meetings they came in to hear the gospel, and they, they heard the gospel in our church. But anyway, um, mommy had cancer on three occasions, and the last occasion she took it, I knew she wasn't getting out of hospital. And for 16 days, I was working in Belfast at the time, I was traveling up and down the road, and I was asking the Lord to give me that opportunity to speak to her and make sure that of her salvation. She'd never shown any interest. She'd always chased me whenever I gave her gospel tracts or booklets. Anyway, she was in a hospital bed, and there was that many of us by that stage. There's ten children, then they're all married, then they have children. It's like the tribal get in the door. You could hardly make one from the out, one from the other. There's 37 of them. And I thought, I'd never get my mum on her own, because every night I went in there every day to see mummy. There was a crowd around the bed. Anyway, I went in this night, and mummy's lying in the bed on her own at half seven. I'd rang Danny from work to say, I'm coming home, I'm going to get changed. I'm going to stay all night if I need to speak to my mum on her own. So that was okay. I went in at half seven visiting time and not one person was at the bed. She was in a wee ward of six people. And the nurse was sitting in the middle of the room writing her notes up. And I went over and mummy was grabbing for the bedside. And I put out my hand and caught her hand. I says, mum, are you okay? No, I'm not okay, Margaret. I says, what's wrong? She says, I'm dying. And it was on the tip of my tongue to say to her, you're not dying. But God stopped me. And I said, Mom, if you're dying, hasn't God been good to you? You're 80 years of age and you're in your right mind. God has given you an opportunity to repent of your sin, to ask God for forgiveness. And I explained to her as best I could the way of salvation and about how she needed to put her trust in God, to confess her sin, put her trust in God, and ask the Lord Jesus Christ into her heart. And I explained about how Christ died on the cross and rose again to conquer death and hell and to conquer sin. And she closed her eyes, and I started to cry. And the nurse came over and put her arm around me. And she says to me, I said to the nurse, I hope Mommy's not away into unconsciousness. And she says, no, she's seen something there. And she was, she was talking away in her sleep, I thought. But she opened her eyes, and she says, Margaret, I've done it. I says, what have you done? She says, I've asked the Lord into my heart. The Lord saved her. And she lived for another 14 or 15 days. And she witnessed to everybody that she was ready for heaven. The Lord was gracious. So never give up hope if you've got a family member outside of Christ. Live your life as near Christ as you can. Know the scriptures to be able to tell people how to be saved. And do witness to them, because God saved my mother. And six months later, Mommy and Daddy were married over 60 years. And Daddy didn't want to be here without her. And six months later, found my father in the hospital. And the Lord gave me the opportunity to be with him whenever he was passing into eternity. And to tell him the way of salvation. Now, I thank God for how merciful he's been to me. I don't deserve heaven in any manner or means. I deserve hell more tonight than I did then. But the Lord saved me and he has kept me. And if you're in the meeting and you're not saved, I would ask you to come to Christ tonight. Put your faith in him. 
And no matter what problems or difficulties you have, they're not too difficult for the Lord. He will sort them out for you. My testimony is summed up in God's word in Psalm 103, verses 3 and 4, where it says, Who forgive us all thine iniquities, who heal us all thy diseases, who redeem us thy life from destruction, who crown us thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. I would just say to you tonight, if you're not saved, come to him, because you don't know the day or hour that the Lord will come. And if you're here and you're not saved, or if you're here and you're a backslider, I don't know what you've found in the world is better than Christ. Nothing I would say with authority from God's word. But I would say to you tonight, any of us can backslide, but it says in God's word that if you were to come back to him, he'll restore unto you the years the locusts have taken. And I always find hope from God's word when I read about Peter. Imagine being with the Lord for three and a half years and seeing the miracles that he done and the people that he saved. And then standing at the fire with the Roman soldiers and going as far as to curse the Lord. That's what Peter done. And yet it was all when the Lord rose again from the dead. He asked for Peter by name. I want to leave one verse of scripture with you tonight. And it's the most, it's the best advice I can give you. And it says in Job 22 and verse 21, Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. The Lord will give you a peace that passes all understanding. He'll be a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And he will keep you until he comes or calls. Margaret for just coming tonight, talking to us, just from your heart, speaking of how the Lord worked in your life, those things that he put in your way, the people that he brought across your path, and the Lord does that. He seeks us, seeking you. How many people has he brought across your path to be a witness, to tell you your need? What a merciful God we have. Margaret talked about how the Lord sought her and bought her and the lord does that too and he's seeking you tonight but you need to do something you need to seek him and i was just thinking of the text i'll leave it with you <clears throat> in isaiah 55 and verse 6 seek ye the lord while he may be found call ye upon him while he is near and there's an obligation here on your part and that obligation is to seek Lord wants you to seek him. Seek him first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. There's not only an obligation, but we find in the words, seek ye the Lord, that there is a person that you must seek. There's some that you must come to, and that's the Lord. Church can't save you, whether it's the Roman Catholic Church or the Protestant Church or any other church. It's only the Lord can do that. And so we, we point you not to ourselves, but to Christ. He's the one that you need to seek. And then there's a caution, a warning here. Seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. And that reminds us that he'll not always be found. And he'll not always be near. But he can be found. And he's near tonight, this very moment as he has come and spoken to you from the testimony 
We know that he's in this meeting and he's speaking to your heart right now. And this is, this is an opportunity time. And praise God, he can be found tonight. Will you come to him? Will you do what this verse tells you to do? And to seek him. I pray that you will. Let's have a word of prayer. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for the testimony that we've listened to tonight. Thank you for the triumph of grace in the life of Margaret. For all the way the Lord led her from childhood up through teenage years, going to train as a nurse, the people that you brought into her pathway to be a witness. She couldn't get away from that. When she got away from one person, the Lord did somebody else. Lord, we want to acknowledge how good you are, how gracious. And you bring people into our pathway to, to be a signpost to the cross and to show us the way of God's salvation. Help us as Christians to be that good testimony, to point others to the Savior. And for those in this meeting who don't, don't, don't know the Lord, we pray you'll speak to them even now as we leave this meeting. And very soon we, we go home. We pray that there will be a, a seeking after the Lord for salvation. We thank you that salvation is real. And the Lord's able to save and save to the uttermost all that come. But they must come. They must seek. Give that grace to seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he's near. Hear this our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. Time is gone, but just think of the, the closing hymn that we love so well here at Hebron. Because it is what you need to do. It's what you need to say. I'm coming to the cross. I am poor and weak and blind. I am counting all but dross. I shall full salvation find. And with that in mind, I am trusting, Lord, in thee, blessed Lamb of Calvary. Humbly at thy cross I bow. Save me, Jesus. Save me now. So someone's going to pray that tonight. Save me. And thank God he will. I'm going to leave it there. Our sisters will play uh, the hymn. You can think of the words. I'm going to leave verse 1 up there for you to see. Thank you. Mm -hmm.